Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, this episode of uh, Ask Alan. I'm Alan Crone, CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and we're here today with David Jordan, who's the CEO and president of uh, Agape uh, Family Services, and um, he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, himself and a little bit about Agape, which is celebrating its, what, its 50th uh, anniversary this year? 50 years, Alan, yes. We, we are excited and thankful. Well, that's, uh, that's amazing. You know, there are a few... Um, Memphis institutions uh, that are as enduring and as important as Agape. So congratulations Thanks. on 50 years and, and hopefully y'all will get another 50 or maybe even 500 more. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Good, good to be on your show today. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about you. I, uh, I understand you, uh, you actually grew up in North Alabama. Is that right? I did. I did. Uh, actually was born in Middle Tennessee, and then my family moved to North Alabama, to Decatur, near Huntsville, uh, when I was third grade. And so really, my, what I remember is my rearing years uh, there in Decatur from third grade on uh, through high school, and, uh, and then went on to college in uh, Nashville. Were one or both of your parents rocket scientists? <laughs> no, no, dad was in uh, the finance business, mom, a teacher. And um, so, so yeah, so, so the, all the rocket work going on in Huntsville, uh, we weren't a part of that, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we were around, we rubbed elbows with some of those rocket scientists. Well, what kind of, uh, I asked this because my mother was a, was a teacher, okay. uh, taught art. What did your mother teach? So uh, mom taught uh, elementary school age children. And so um, she actually, um, started uh, in becoming a teacher later in life. I remember her getting her master's in education. She'd drop us off and as a teenage boy, a bunch of us boys would go fishing and by what was called the pumps. And so we were, we were fishing for carp and all kind of bottom feeders, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. she'd drop yeah. us off on her way to go work on her master's uh, at, at the college down the street and then come pick us up. And so she started teaching later in life and uh, but taught in the elementary level indicator. Well, that's very nice. That's very yeah. nice. So what was it like growing up in North Alabama? You know, uh, good question. Um, you know, so my experience overall was a good experience. Um, uh, Alabama or Decatur is a little 40,000, you know, population size. Um, and so much of, you know, the church that we went to, uh, just the community and what we experienced, you know, was good. Decatur had the the first wave pull or the second wave pull in the nation back in the 70s and you know all, all those kind of things big time um, uh, i recently wrote an article uh, in the daily memphian was asked to do that and as i reflected back and have done over the years um you know learning even about myself about matters of race and racism and um having a dear friend just my best friend that grew up in what we called the projects then in public housing, um, 
playing football with guys uh, when we came together, you know, on the team, white and black. I was in public school. We were one team. Uh, when we left, uh, it always felt like there was something that divided us. And, and uh, as a young boy, I, I, I didn't know what was going on. Later, coming to know some of the stories of just racism that was going on, you know, and how uh, African-American families were experiencing life in Decatur that I, I frankly had no clue of. Uh, I saw a little of it, but didn't didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, experiencing at church, having a, a, an African-American church that was a part of the, in the facility that we were in, but they had to be in another building and they, they would baptize in another baptistry, you know, those kind of things. And I'd ask questions about that. It never made sense to me, but it, you know, and so, so I, I live like many of us. I'm, you know, I breathe the air of, of race and racism uh, and so it has been, I think it was an experience uh, God has used for, for me to come to understand and know at some level what our families experience in Memphis uh, and in the South, but this is beyond the South matter. Um, so so uh, growing up years were really very good years, but there, there were some foundational things that uh, has been used for me to have understanding as I've gotten older as well. So I've continued to learn from those growing up years. Yeah, I think I've had uh, similar uh, experiences. I think we can, uh, if you're a certain age and yeah. white in the South, um, if you really do some soul searching, you, yeah. you, can, you can pick moments from your childhood out like that, where you, as you describe in that article, you knew it was wrong kind of innately, but yeah. everybody around you was telling you that's just kind of the way it is. Yep, that's right. That's right. That's and right. It, and yeah. it, it really makes it hard um, it really makes it hard to to uh, to be in solidarity with uh, with black folks that grew up on the other side of that. I mean, all you can really do is have some empathy, but it's there's just no way of putting yourself in their shoes. Yeah, no, that that's right, that's right. And so, uh, so God has used that, Alan, in my life uh, to transform my heart, to show myself my own matters of race and even racism, um, and. And then has really, uh, I believe, used that, and, and, and I didn't know this for some numbers of years, uh, and, and it's not to be a great white hope, I, that, that stuff just sickens me, but, but what do those experiences and being a white male, what is my role in this conversation around race and poverty and, um, and to be brought to Memphis back some 25 years ago? So, so I, I don't view any of those kind of things as accidental. I understand. So, okay, so you grew up in, in North Alabama. Uh, where, where did you do uh, your college? So I went to uh, Lipscomb University in Nashville, and um, got, I was one of those guys. I, I went believing I knew, I, I knew what I wanted to be since I was probably 10 years old, Alan. I was going to be a veterinarian, uh, and I wanted to be a vet because my granddad, who was my idol and who I'm named after, David, uh, he, he hauled livestock, and so I would go be with him in Clarksville, Tennessee in the summers, and I wanted to be just like my granddad, and so in doing that, I was going to become a vet. Once I hit college and hit chemistry, I kind of quickly decided, mm, I'm not sure being a vet's really what I want to be. I want to be like my granddad, and so, so I began differentiating that. Um, I minored in everything from math to Greek to psychology to business. Uh, all that meant was I was a confused college student trying to figure out what, what am I going to be when I grow up? 
Uh, I got, I'm still trying uh, to figure that out, David. <laughs> Some of it's just true for all of us, isn't it? Uh, and so I got my major in Bible. I knew that I wanted to do something that would be helpful to people. Never, never believed I was called to pastor or lead a church. Um, and so that was, that was the best, kind of the best I knew at that point. Went on from there and got my master's in social work, social work administration from the University of Tennessee uh, there in Nashville. And it was affiliated UT and uh, TSU, Tennessee State University. And uh, that, that was just a real launching place for me to begin uh, getting a sense of kind of my calling vocationally. Well, if you don't mind me asking, me asking tell me a little bit about your granddad and, and what about him? Uh, you said he's your idol. Uh, oh, that's wow. pretty strong language. What, what about him uh, drew you to him that you wanted to, to be like him? You know, uh, he died when I was 13, and so I, I had these memories as a young boy, you know, and they're embedded in my mind. Um, granddad was a quiet man. He was not overly talkative. He would never be on a show like this, probably wouldn't even have all the words, to, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm by nature more quiet. I'm more of an introvert, uh, but he had this quiet strength about him. Uh, I was the, the first grandchild. I always knew I was special in his eyes. And um, granddad let me know that I was, uh, you know, one of my life questions has been, am I good enough? And granddad in an early age uh, let me know that uh, I was the apple of his eye. And uh, that was so, I didn't know really what that meant to, you know, as you get older, um, if I had not had that, I don't know that I would even be in these kind of conversations. Uh, my granddad, who nobody would ever know, they would never remember, uh, kind of a blip on the historical screen, uh, was uh, just Mount Everest in my life. And so, uh, so I, knew, I knew if anybody loved and cared for me, it was my granddad. Um, and like I say, he, he died, you know, relatively young age for himself. Uh, I was 13. And he still has that kind of impact on me uh, as a 13-year-old boy remembering him. Well, that's a, that's a great story. And hopefully uh, 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 this, uh, uh, this is a, a small podcast, but hopefully that'll uh, mm. amplify his, his story a little bit. Uh, mm. It's just a wonderful thing. And it, it, it shows you how we can have a tremendous impact on people uh, yes. by not necessarily doing tremendous things, just by by yep. being, uh, as you say, a quiet, uh, yep. principled person who can yep. communicate that uh, someone has worth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I'm, yeah, uh, probably no one would, you know, ever look back and say, think of any monumental experience, you know, anything he did that was grandiose. Uh, I mean, he didn't take me to Disney World. We didn't go, you know, he took me to Moss's, Moss's Kitchen, uh, first place that just a little, you know, diner uh, for breakfast. And uh, first place I had coffee, they, they uh, put a little coffee in my milk. Never forget that. Uh, again, I want to be like granddad. He, he's drinking his coffee. And so, uh, uh, I mean, to your point, uh, no one needs to underestimate any interaction, even in this very moment, uh, of how it can be used and is used for good uh, that the other person may have no clue about. That's exactly right. Wow. All right, so you finished uh, up uh, your education in Nashville. Uh, how did you get from Nashville to Memphis? 
So w once I received my master's, met, met my wife at Lipscomb, um, Teresa, and uh, been part of just my life transformation. Uh, we've been married now 33 years. Um, started having children. Uh, we now have three. At that time, we had two. And then started receiving a call from th this agency uh, called Agape, uh, Child and Family Services. And um, Alan, initially, they, they started calling in the late 80s. And I came over and, and looked. And Nashville was very transformative in my life. Um, and, and so just spiritually, it was very transformative. And as a young man, I was probably mid-20s, um, I, got, I got a little confused with, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to leave Nashville because that was the place of transformation. So I wanted to stay there. So I got, they called and, and I came and looked at it and I later said, you know, that's good, but no, thank you. Um, and, and they called back probably a year, year and a half later. And, and we went over and discerned and looked at, prayed about, had our church involved and, and just, uh, Alan, the, the strongest sense of calling I've ever had in my life is uh, that we were to come to Memphis. And, um, and, and in part, that was for me to be agape, at Agape. And now I've just started my 26th year as the CEO. Uh, my wife, Teresa, has been the children's minister at our church for 20 years. Um, I think that's part of the reason we're here. I think part of being here was our kids growing up in Memphis and uh, being able to uh, experience this beautiful city and in its own struggle that has had such huge impact on our kids in a really good way. Um, and so, so that, that's been part of the story that brought us to Memphis back uh, August of 95. Wow. Wow. Um... So you've been in Memphis working for Agape since 1995. That is that is right. So we, right. we came um, late August of 95. So just just recently had my 25th anniversary and staff and board were very gracious and uh, how they celebrated. Uh, so it really has been a uh, it's been a blessing and, and quite a uh, quite an experience. And I say that in all good kind of ways. Uh, where we're at now, Alan, I would have never have guessed having started back in August of 95. Well, when you started in, in August of 95, what, uh, what kind of, I know that Agape has changed over the years. Yeah. Um, what, how, how was, what, what was its mission then and, and, and how has it changed? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So the mission uh, has actually never changed to provide children and families with healthy homes. How we have enacted that mission has hugely changed. So when I came in 95, uh, Agape was right. Well, that year was our 25th anniversary. Uh, so this year is our 50th anniversary as organization. Um, Agape had served for 25 uh, consecutive years solely providing foster care and adoption. Nothing wrong with that. A number of agencies provide foster care and adoption. And there is a need. I'm, I'm a, so, a trained social worker. I come out of that field. Uh, one of my very first jobs was doing child protective services. And so going into homes uh, where there was alleged abuse and neglect. And so, so there are times when there's a need for foster care and adoption. We began just asking the question, Alan, and this was over 20 years ago. What does it look like if we don't wait for youth and families to come into a foster care setting? And what if we begin going uphill, kind of upstream, as some would say? 
And so, so that question and that thinking has, has uh, really driven Agape over the last 20 plus years. Um, almost 20 years ago, we launched uh, what we call FIT, Families in Transition. And we said, rather than waiting for a young lady or man to give us a call that would say, I'm pregnant, um, I'm thinking about placing my baby for adoption, thinking about caring for my baby, maybe even thinking about aborting, I'm just looking at my options. And at that point, our option was, um, if you want to place for adoption, then we want to provide you an option, you know. And um, we began asking the question, so if 94% uh, of those that call are not thinking about adoption, but they're thinking about parenting or aborting, might we consider another response or maybe an additional response? And so we launched this ministry called FIT, Families in Transition, for uh, women primarily and their children, uh, women who are pregnant, who are not planning to place their baby for adoption. That was not their goal, but they wanted to parent, but they didn't have the resources. I mean, um, nearly half of our women said, if I had housing, then I wouldn't be even talking to you. Uh, I'd be able just to be able to move on with life. And so we provided transitional housing, wraparound services for families um, and their children while during the pregnancy. And we launched that back in 2001. Well, FIT has grown now in 19 years uh, to be the largest uh, provider uh, serving families who are homeless, and especially those who are fleeing out of domestic violence. And so uh, even the latest data, Alan, shows that during this uh, COVID period of time, uh, domestic violence has gone up. That's been no surprise to us, but the data supports that. Mm -hmm. And it is true. Um, and so our numbers of families asking, saying, I have fled out of domestic violence. I am homeless. I need housing for myself, my children, and I'm trying to get to a better life. And so that was the first step for us to begin kind of in this journey uh, around what does it look like to not wait for kids to come in foster care? Because if you're homeless, you're at highest risk of your children coming into foster care. Well, interesting enough, in 19 years, we have had zero children go into foster care after coming into our FIT program. And so if you have support, resources, assistance, then we may be able to elude the foster care system. In fact, we've had families get kids out of foster care back home with them out of the FIT program. So that was our first step. And then we took then an even greater step after that, but that was our first major step in this journey, staying within our mission. Well, that, that's great. And I think, um, keeping a family together is so much preferable to foster care and these, these other options. It's, it's great that you're doing that. Yeah. Let me, let me kind of throw you a little bit of a curveball, although I suspect you're prepared for this, this question. Talk a little bit about, I love the name of your organization, Agape. Mm -hmm. It's such a great Greek word. Um, yep. And I won't steal your thunder on that, but tell us how that word in your uh, uh, vision relates to the mission. That's a good question. So agape, or, or if, uh, if we were Greek, we might say agape, uh, stands for and means love. Matter of fact, if you go to our website, agape means love. That's our email addresses, david.jordan at agape means love. Um, so it, in, there are several words in Greek that mean love. Um, this is, uh, as many would say, kind of the highest form of love. 
It's not a feeling. It's not uh, about sexuality. Uh, it's not about friendship. Uh, it can encompass all of those, but it really is, uh, I want good and well and even better for the other, even at my own expense, that I will love you that much. Uh, it, it goes to the heart of God around to love God and to love your neighbor. Um, and, and to love at such a level that I'm even willing to sacrifice. And I'm even willing to give up my own privilege for the other to have what they don't have as privileged. And so it, it is uh, the very name that we use is the aspiration of who we try to be and live out. I think that's right. And, um, so what do you think on the... For, the, for the, your typical client, what do you think are the barriers that, uh, for success mm. that folks find, particularly here in Memphis? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question because the next wave of our movement came about 12 years ago. And we asked the question, Alan, what if we, novel idea, what if we go ask our families, what is it you want? And what's working for you? What's not working for you? And we, we looked at the communities of Fraser and Whitehaven and Hickory Hill. And the reason we looked at those uh, in part was that 50% of all the kids that come into foster care live in those communities. Hmm. And we said, so again, what if we go to communities where we would typically wait for their kids to come into foster care and we provide housing and home to a foster home, maybe even an adoptive home. Again, we still do a little of that because that need is still there. But to your earlier point, 99% of our families if, if we could serve them upstream, we would never even be in the conversation about foster care. And so we, in 2009, we, we went to some apartments in Whitehaven, uh, in Frazier, in Hickory Hill, and we began having these conversations. And your, to your very question, uh, what is it you need? What is it you want? What is working? What is not working? Well, here's what, what our families, and, and this shouldn't be a surprise, every, every community said it a little differently, but generally speaking, the number one matter our family said is we do not feel safe. We are preyed upon uh, the crime rate in apartments, uh, the domestic violence uh, could be gang and gang-like activity. Um, when my kids are walking to or from school uh, and they're having to walk by certain environments in the community uh, because I'm having to work and I can't be there. I mean, just so, so that, that has always, almost always been number one. Uh, our families also said, David, if you really want to help, then we need help with education for our kids. And for some of our, our families that are more astute of what was going on, said, and oh, by the way, you know, based on where we live, and we may not have a choice where we live, or yes, we very much choose to live in Frazier. This is our home. We love our home and our community, but we have some of the worst school performing schools in our neighborhood. This was 12 years ago. And so um, uh, they said, if you want to help, help our kids in school, but also can you help our schools be a better performing school was the essence. We also, our family said, you know what? 50% of us have a job, but we need more of a job. We're not making $15 now or whatever that amount is for us to be able to live the life that we're desiring. Um, and then families would talk about housing and, and talk about family and, and underneath all this, uh, Alan, was this sense of hope. You know, 
I'm not sure I have a sense or a reason to be hopeful. Or we have families that are said, you know, in spite of every circumstance I'm living in, all the traumas, uh, all of the, the real life matters going on, I have a deep hope. But we had a lot of families saying, um, what, what can I hope on? What can I hope for? Because I've been so disappointed in talking about a lot of the systemic matters. And so we, as a board, my board uh, 12 years ago said, Agape will never ever reach out and seek out funding. We won't go on a show and have a conversation like this. We won't do anything that would not include telling the community, here's what our families say, that we raise up their voice. It's not what David thinks, not even what Alan thinks. It's not what, this is what our, they know their lived experience better than anybody. It's their experience. So raise that up. Our family said, we may or may not know how to get to the destination, but we're telling you what, we're, what we need and what we're wanting. And so Alan, that has flipped Agape 180 degrees. And so we launched a poverty reduction model work. It's, uh, it's called a two generation model. So you serve both generations, both parent in both child or children, you're serving the whole family. Uh, you're doing it alongside the family. Proximity is critical. And so just like you and I seeing each other here and having this conversation, our staff, and we're remote officing now because of COVID, but we office and work, and many of our staff live in the communities that we serve alongside, in Frazier, Whitehaven, Hickory Hill. We hear the voice, we feel the people developing trust and having trusting relationship is critical in this. And so we're always growing that. Our staff are called connectors. And so they connect relationally. So the relational connection is critical and they connect by connecting resources, wrapping services around as we walk out life. And so we are trying to move the needle of poverty. We've been encouraged by what we have seen, much to be done. And COVID-19 has clearly had a significant impact on our families. What, uh, what effects are you seeing in, um, in, the, in your clients' lives, particularly as it relates to education, and COVID and remote learning through SES, and yeah. are you guys involved in uh, supporting uh, kids in education? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. We are. We begin with where our families live, and then we go to where our families would go to. And so that has led us over the last uh, eight nine years. We're in all sixteen schools that the majority of our kids would attend in Fraser, Whitehaven, Hickory Hill. So I've got our staff connectors that are embedded in the schools. If the schools were meeting, or they would be in the schools, but we're still engaged deeply with them. Um, so in this time of COVID, uh, Agape has gotten out and we're in the process of getting out up to a thousand computers to the thousand families that we serve so that we can have kind of a telehealth, telework, so we can have you know these kind of engagements just like you and I are having, but even more so, to help our families go deep in areas like education, to your question. And so we partner with Shelby County Schools, we partner with Achievement School District, we partner with uh, Green Dot, with uh, Fraser Community Schools. So those are the schools our kids are going to. And um, so our partnership has included conversations. We said, you know, many of our kids, our data shows from our families, 80% of our kids have had no educational instruction since March when COVID hit here in America up until recently when kids started going back to school. So we have had this major gap. Some would say our kids could 
get uh, a year, if not two years more behind than they are. Um, and so the remote learning, uh, you know, for some kids, they're doing it well. For some kids, this is very hard. Uh, for mom, dad, aunt, uncle who are uh, in the home, if they're working, if they have more than one child, if you have younger children who are needing someone to sit beside them during this period of time, uh, while, while, you know, you're, you're in kindergarten, uh, that's difficult. So Agape has just secured some funding so that we can have tutors, uh, these we're calling them learning coaches, uh, who are retired teachers, uh, they're trained in education, they're also trained in, say, the Shelby County School modeling of how you do education. And so we'll be able to serve 400, uh, and I'm hopeful, uh, six to 800 of our youth with these tutors that will connect virtually. And so using the computers that we've gotten out, uh, they all have hotspots. And so um, being able to have the connectivity, and we've provided that as well. And, and so being able to have tutors, uh, whether it probably isn't during the school day, but could be after school. So homework time could be on weekends. Uh, there's a hotline that you can call anytime. We also will have parent coaches. And so coaches for our parents to help support them because they're the first teacher. And so how can we help support you during this educational time for our youth? Uh, we have a, a national group called the Annie E. Casey Foundation in Baltimore. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with, familiar with them. They, they have approved, Alan, uh, to provide evaluation support for Agape in this model. And so doing what's called rapid cycle evaluation. So rapidly providing information to your question. How's it going, mom and dad and auntie? How's it going, youngster? How's it going, teacher? What's working in this virtual space? What's not working? How can we improve this? And having that data and having a rapid cycle where uh, every week we're making shifts, we're making changes through that, that design. And so that evaluation team will come on in October uh, and they have interest that this could have some national implications for others as well. So, so we're, we're really trying to step into that space. We have learning centers that we've set up in our homes. And so uh, 400 of our, of our families have new furniture with uh, culturally and age appropriate books in their home that will replenish and our families have been excited about that and so so we're doing a lot of things in the learning space really trying to help support in our partnership with shelby county schools and our other school providers well that's awesome that's awesome um it sounds like we could use another hundred uh, agapes out there well we we do believe one of our roles uh is to scale this model and uh and we have seen the needle of poverty move with the families that we're serving, only three to 5% of families living in poverty, dire poverty, ever escape poverty into prosperity in their lifetime. We're trying to move the needle by one percentage point a year uh, in uh, evaluating this for three and a half years. We have seen upwards of nine plus percent of families move beyond the line of poverty. The work's not done, but we've had encouraging results and so Part of what we anticipate longer term is scaling this model uh, in other places in Memphis, Tennessee, we've been asked to come to other places and even in other states uh, long term. You know, you, you talked about what your families um, want. Mm. And it, it occurred to me as you're giving me that list that that list of a family in Frazier is probably not much different than the list of the family in East Memphis or Germantown or Collierville um, or any place else. 
Everybody yeah. wants their streets to be safe. They want to have a good place to live. They want um, yep. a job. They want all. They want all of those things. And I think sometimes um, we lose sight of what we have in common with each other. Yep. And and uh, it, t talk about the ways that that Agape may be bringing that message to other communities about how they're similar and how they can help. Uh, that, that's a good point, Alan. Uh, you know, the book, Same Kind of Different as Me, uh, kind of reminds me of that. Uh, a homeless gentleman that meets a very rich white man, uh, homeless African-American gentleman, and uh, it's a real story. And uh, the story ended with, they very much were very similar, desiring the very same things, but having very different opportunities and in, in, uh, having uh, made avail available to them. And I would say that that very much is our story. Uh, so one way that, that we are um, trying to bring resources, access, networks, just where's the door, David, for me to have a shot at this job? Where's the door for my kids to, to have uh, an education uh, like X, Y, and Z might have an education if they lived in another community? Because uh, my kids can do the work. Uh, you know, where's the resource around safety? Oh, yeah. And, and so one way we are doing that is um, through our faith communities, Alan, we are connecting, uh, I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned Pursuit of God Church. So uh, uh, Pastor Ricky Floyd, who is well known in Frazier, mm -hmm. we have a partnership with Pursuit of God Church. Um, and, and that's part of our work together. Um, and we're connecting churches that we call hub churches, those that are indigenous to the community with resource or anchor churches. And so uh, a very specific example is that uh, we connected uh, Bellevue Church um, and Pastor Gaines and his team came out to see Ricky, Pastor Floyd, uh, a year ago in June. Uh, we had been telling them about the work and we said, we really wanna connect you know, people from kind of all over, kind of all over Memphis together to have meaningful conversations, kind of to your question. And so um, Pastor Steve Gaines and his team came and heard the work, were, were really moved by it. They had been trying to do some things in Frazier, actually had a facility uh, in Frazier. And, uh, and after that meeting, uh, Pastor Gaines and Pastor uh, Floyd just continued in their relationship and meeting and getting together. Well, the short story is that led to Bellevue, first part of this year, donating a three plus million dollar building and property uh, to Pastor Floyd in pursuit of God to expand his ministry and the work he's doing with Agape and many other partners. It also has led to, and this is some of the deeper waters that I would say, I mean, a lot of folks would be awed by, wow, this building, it's a beautiful building, is a, I mean, a beautiful gift, but even deeper than that has been kind of your question. What do these relationships look like? How does someone at Bellevue begin getting to know somebody at Pursuit of God and in the community of Frazier and, and listen to each other and hear each other? I mean, you know, we're in a time we don't listen to each other. We're, we're busy talking over each other um, and, and feel and come to, just come to understand what must, what's life like, no matter who you are and where you're at. And so, so we are facilitating those kind of conversations uh, between churches and with community residents uh, to be able to listen and to listen well and to, kind of, to have empathy. And 
come to understand, you know, maybe, maybe in some ways our worlds are very far apart. And maybe some ways the way God has made us all, we all have some of the very same desires. Uh, so that, that is one step that we are taking in that regard. Yeah, that, um, I think that's the, from a religious standpoint, that's the, the point I think we all miss sometimes is, you know, we're all made in the image and likeness of God and yeah. we're all brothers and sisters. And, uh, I, I had a, an experience not too long ago where I was speaking at a Republican event out in, uh, Germantown. Mm. And, you know, this, this woman was there and she was, this is when I was working for the city of Memphis and yeah. she was talking about the problems that, that, they have in the inner city. And I said, well, what are, what kind of problems do they have? Well, they, you know, they, the family's broken down and they, they don't have education for their kids. And in the same breath, she said, you know, I was a single parent and I made sure my kids got to, got to, uh, to school. And I kind of stopped her and I said, I said, that's a, that's a wonderful story. And it is a wonderful story. But I said, do you realize that right now there's a, there's a woman sitting in Piccadilly in Whitehaven that could tell the same story, mm. you know, and mm. you have a lot more in common with that woman than, than you think you do. Mm. And uh, as a result of that, she told me later, she started um, uh, volunteering at a church in Whitehaven mm. uh, and, and formed some relationships. And so once you cross over and realize again, that people are people and yeah. it really, everybody has the same problems. They just may have take different forms. Yeah. Uh, so I think what y'all are doing is, is, is wonderful. What do you, what do you think the next 50 months, 50 years look like for, 50 years is kind of hard to prognosticate, but 50 months probably isn't. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the future looks like for, for Agape and the work you're doing? Yeah, I appreciate that question as well. Um, we, Agape has recently been selected uh, by a national group. Um, you, you may be familiar with the Aspen Institute. Um, they, they have a number of entities. Uh, the Ascend Network is part of the Aspen Institute, and they are the national think tank around this two-generation poverty-fighting work, and so they're a real leader in that. Agape is, uh, we're told, one of, if not the largest two-generation poverty-fighting models in the nation, and so we've been invited as one of 20 entities uh, for a two-year engagement to say, okay, what does it look like to go even deeper in this work? Um, and so uh, in the next 50 months, I believe, Alan, um, you know, with, with COVID hitting as hard as it has, even with Agape getting computers out to our families the way we have, creating a telehealth, telework model, uh, trying to help engage in the education spaces I talked about, we have got to do things. The unemployment rate in, especially impoverished communities, are have, have gone. You know, I mean, they're they're uh, extraordinarily high, uh, and they were all already were, and so we are aggressively seeking partnerships. And some of the listening audience may hear some of this and say, "Boy, I want to I want to talk more about this." We uh, we know research and data show, and we have experience at this, even though that. We've been able to get 43.5% of the adults that we work with to a living wage, of $15 an hour or more wage. So we view that as been very positive success. Governor Lee challenged me and our team when he and um, First Lady Maria were here back a year ago, June, 
said, David, it's great that y'all can move the, the needle of poverty by 9%. Could you get to 10%? Could you get to 15%? Could you get to 20%? And I said, Governor, that, that would be unheard of movement, but I believe can be done, but we've, we've got to lock arms systemically together. And so we are aggressively seeking relationships with CEOs and corporate groups, uh, small, medium, and large size entities that would say, if we could create an apprenticeship model that would lean into, uh, here's my XYZ corporation company, I need IT, I need healthcare, I need medical device, uh, I, you know, I've got positions that could lead, lean into and even exceed, say, a $15 an hour job, but this is the kind of training, this is what I'm looking for. So if we set up apprenticeships that we, that we paid, uh, and they were eight week, 10 week, 12 week, 16 week, um, and Agape is aggressively seeking funding for those apprenticeships. Would you be open, Mr. and Ms. CEO, to that kind of relationship and partnership? Our goal is could we get up to 500 adults uh, at a time in these kind of apprenticeship positions that would lead to some number, they obviously have to be hired and go through that process, but some number having employment where you're making 40, 50, $60,000 a year. And so, so we have seen success. We have a platform, this two generation platform. We have a deep partnership with the Department of Human Services with that. Uh, and we believe kind of our next 50 months would include kind of this movement. And also believe that um, somewhere in this 50 months that we'll be moving to scaling this model. Might this go even deeper in Fraser, Whitehaven, Hickory Hill? Might this go maybe to other communities who would want it and say, yes, we want to embrace. Might it go to other places in Tennessee and even other states? We've been asked already to come to other places. We don't believe we're quite ready for that, but we believe we're getting close. I think in the next 50 months, that would be uh, within the horizon as well. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> Certainly pray that, uh, that you're able to accomplish those goals. How can, how can folks get involved with, uh, with Agape? Uh, thank you. Um, this is our 50th year anniversary. And so uh, even in this remote you know, space, we are still going to celebrate our 50th year anniversary. Uh, we're gonna do it remotely. We're not gonna do it in person. Um, and uh, I would invite people on November 6th to be able to join in. Uh, and so it'll be via Facebook. Uh, we anticipate having it on TV stations as well. And uh, we've got some, some uh, top talent we're really excited about. Uh, we have Kirk Franklin, uh, for example, who is a part. Um, we've got uh, Drew and L.A. Holcomb. Uh, we have C.C. Winans. Um, and then we have a gentleman named John Perkins. And John began the Christian Community Development Movement 25 years ago, African-American gentleman from Mississippi. Um, and so we're really excited about uh, not only looking back at the 50 years, but some of what you've been talking about. What does it look like in these next years? Um, and, and our theme is we are a movement. Uh, and when I say we, it's not Agape's movement. It is we. We are a movement here in the Memphis area. And so really to lock arms together, kind of your earlier point, no matter where you come from in the city, uh, rather than pointing fingers, what if we take our arms and lock arms and we become a movement together in our city? So, uh, so we'd love folks to join us uh, November 6th for what we call Heartlight, our, our annual event, especially this year for our 50th year event. 
All right. Well, <clears throat> David, we put up, we put that up on, on the screen uh, while you've been talking about it, the, right. the Facebook address for that. And uh, we'll also uh, periodically, we've put, been putting up your uh, website address and uh, phone number if people want to call and volunteer or uh, donate money or just get involved with the work you're doing. Hopefully Thank we you. can facilitate that a little bit. Thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate that. Well, David, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, our conversation. I really yes. appreciate your time uh, on the program, and I hope that uh, this amplifies uh, a little bit it, it, the, the work that you're doing. And uh, if one person uh, hears this and gets involved, I think it's been time well spent. Amen. Amen. Alan, thank you. And thank you for your service uh, in the community and what you're doing and having me on your show. I really appreciate this. Well, you're more than welcome. That's the, that's the easy part. Uh, <laughs> well, very good. Uh, I thank everybody for, for watching this episode of Ask Alan. I think uh, if you're like me, you've learned a, a lot about what's going on in Memphis uh, and in particular, uh, the work that Agape and uh, David Jordan is doing in Memphis. And we, on behalf of the city, David, we really appreciate it. And we want you to stay in Memphis another 50 years doing, doing great work.